I'm not excited. That's just my morning Hollywood. <laughs> oh, wood. Jesus. That's <laughs> what happens after Night Monkey. <laughs> oh, call back to previous episodes. Check out our catalog. Hello <laughs> and welcome to another episode of Screen Fix, the show where we will fix a recent film. I'm your host, JC. With me, as always, is the co-host that carries the show. Lady Juan, say hi to everybody. Hello. And somebody that always gets my morning Hollywood going, Mustachio. Buongiorno. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this week, the ninth film in Quentin Tarantino's film canon, Oeuvre, he has said that he's only going to make 10 and then retire. Is the Star Trek movie going to count? Mm-hmm. It, or is that a loophole? That shouldn't count. I'm hoping his 10th is a Quentin original. Anyway, that film we're talking about, that ninth film this week that we will be fixing, Quentin Tarantino's Once Upon a Time, dot, 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 in Hollywood. I'm Rick Dalton. It's my pleasure, Mr. Schwartz. Call me Miles, then. Put it there. That's your son? No, that's my stunt double, Cliff Booth. Last night, we watched a Rick Dalton double feature. <laughs> All the shooting. <laughs> I love that stuff, you know, with the killing. A lot of killing. Anybody order fried sauerkraut? Come, <laughs> you Nazi bastards! Are <laughs> you an actor? No, I'm a stuntman. Look at me! So you still direct, huh? Still here. You can do anything you want to him. I hired you to be an actor, Rick. Not a TV cowboy. You're better than that. All right, what's the matter, partner? It's official, old buddy. Well, it has been. Hot August night and the leaves hanging down and the grass on the ground. Here I am, flat on my ass. Who, who I got living next door to me? I'm Sharon Tate. I'm in the movie. You're in this? That's me. I play Miss Carlson, the klutz. Charlie's gonna dig you. In this town, I can all change like that. Hey! You're Rick fucking Dalton. Don't you forget it. All right, so Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, written and directed by Quentin Tarantino, the first Quentin Tarantino film not associated with the Weinstein Company. We all know why that is, though. Good call. Anyway, Sony Pictures won the rights to distribute this film, which stars Leonardo DiCaprio as Rick Dalton, Brad Pitt as Cliff Booth, Margot Robbie as Sharon Tate, Emil Hirsch as Jay Sebring, Margaret Qualley as Pussycat, Timothy Oliphant as James Stacy, Julia Butters as Trudy, Austin Butler as Tex, Dakota Fanning as Squeaky From, Bruce Dern as George Spawn, Mike Moe as Bruce Lee, Luke Perry as Wayne Maunder, Al Pacino Great ass! as Marvin Schwartz, and uh, Lena Dunham as Gypsy. And there's plenty more blink and you'll miss some characters played by people like Scoot McNary, Harley Quinn Smith, the daughter of Kevin Smith, Rumor Willis, the daughter of Bruce Willis, Maya Hawk, the daughter of Ethan Hawk and Uma Thurman, and Rebecca Gayhart, the murderer herself. Manslaughterer. 
<laughs> Sorry, the manslaughterer, which is very funny because they talk about manslaughter in this movie. And there is uh, someone who has a slaughtered man. Anybody accidentally kills anybody in a fight, they go to jail. It's called manslaughter. <laughs> and we can't forget to pour one out for James Marsden's cutting room floor, young Burt Reynolds. Oh, it didn't make it. What is the quote about James Marsden, Lady One? Oh, he's the only Hollywood Chris not named Chris. <laughs> <laughs> he just is, he, though, right? He's such a Chris. Yeah, he's like a Prada Hemsworth, a Pine. You get it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so this film received a six-minute standing ovation at the 2019 Con Film Festival. That's so long to stand. It's <laughs> a long... Long ovation. People may or may not have had bruised palms. So this movie takes place in 1969, which Quentin has said, quote, This is the year that formed me. I was six years old then. This is my world, and this is my love letter to L.A. Similar to like how Spike Lee had similar things to say about the movie Summer of Sam. But this movie, the year that formed him, he, he was six. Like, are you formed at, at six? Are you Are you buying this quote? No, I can tell you almost nothing about 1992. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, (laughs) So is that just like a quote from somebody that's nostalgic for that time instead of like cognizant of what was happening at that time? I kind of think so, right? Like he did say that his mother in lieu of childcare would take him to movies and that he watched rather violent things when he was young. No. (laughs) (laughs) No. I just can't imagine that. Yeah. So, you know, (laughs) some of that could be some of that. But six, I don't know, cutting it a little young there, Quentin. This movie really is about an actor who was at the tail end of the golden age of Hollywood, the studio system, and he is struggling to fit into the new Hollywood era that began in the late 60s. Uh, that was exploring more cheer themes, often with more graphic violence. Uh, They say that one of the first films that really kicked this into gear was Bonnie and Clyde. Mm. Uh, That was kind of the one that the counterculture latched on to. And coincidentally, Sharon, and especially her husband, Roman Polanski, are part of that new Hollywood that Rick finds himself on the outside of. Mm. Uh, Roman Polanski directing uh, Rosemary's Baby, which was uh, right there as part of that new Hollywood movement. Mustachio, you are... A huge Tarantino file. Why don't you just go into Tarantino, what you think about him, and some of your thoughts uh, heading into this, and some of your thoughts when you left this one. Go ahead, Mustachio. Okay, that's first and foremost. That's too much credit. (laughs) I've probably looked at his catalog of movies as stuff that I could spend more time with, even though I know quite a bit about what I like in those movies. But I really didn't know what to expect for this film. From his body of work, I I didn't know if this Manson Girls was going to be like exploiting their story, kind of just smashing like their names up on front, like kind of like Inglorious Bastards, almost comic book style. Yeah, and it's it's funny because before this movie, they were calling it Quentin Tarantino's Manson Murders movie. Yeah, and I think this film couldn't have ended up being further from that. Really, yeah, it was almost like it was just set in the backdrop of this yeah this movie 
had so much that we weren't expecting and with his homage to the cowboy era generation of like this blacklisted time of movie making and into the 60s with like what you were just talking about like the, the new age of cinema i like how he shows this kind of old is help rescuing the young or this uh hard to turn over the reins uh, kind of time and it's it's also something that i didn't realize as a film fan but what it's like to actually be like on the set kind of around like back lots and the trailers when i used to work in in la i worked for a show called haunted hotels all of the wraparound uh footage which was basically this guy don wildman walking through dusty streets uh we filmed that whole thing on one of those old west set ranches really yeah, and they talked about all the stuff that had filmed there, like Gunsmoke, Maverick, like all those old shows. And the Old West town was still there. <laughs> wow. All right, so uh, your theater-going uh, experience, uh, Mustachio, how was it? It was good. It was in a tiny, like, kind of second-rate theater, which I was kind of like... Perfect. That's perfect for watching his stuff. Yeah, like, <laughs> it, like there was, like, wooden scaffolding coming up out of the center. So it made me feel like I was watching it in, like, this old, like... I don't know, forgotten theater. Cool. That's so perfect. Like in that, well, the reason why this studio system was failing so hard was because TV was really strong at that time. Mm -hmm. And studios were trying to figure out why this younger generation was not going to see these movies. Also, that was when they did away with the system where studios also owned theaters. Mm. Overall, the industry was flailing. That's perfect. Yeah. Uh, But it it was good. Not a whole lot of audience reaction. I mean, this, this slow... Uh, kind of build like the dialogue sequences I think were were what we enjoyed and I was kind of just glued to the screen yeah I wasn't gonna fall asleep in that movie (laughs) all right (laughs) (laughs) lady one what's your connection relationship with uh Quentin Tarantino is it is it love hate what is it it is uh like a friend of a friend (laughs) I think that's a good way to describe it like (laughs) I'll watch. I've definitely not seen all of his movies, and there's only nine, like, <laughs> like I really should have. <laughs> um, but no, I haven't seen them all. I don't, like, normally seek out his stuff. I kind of wait and see if it sounds like it's going to interest me. Is it the his penchant for graphic violence? or? Yeah, I don't normally love that. It did not bother me at all in this movie. Honestly, it didn't even bother me in, in Glorious Bastards, like, I don't know. I think it's more the idea of it and less the execution of it. I think this podcast has forced you to watch some horror movies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you're finally, you're get, you're coming around to it. You're getting desensitized. <laughs> yeah, hooray. <laughs> We've done it. <laughs> I'm broken. <laughs> hooray. <laughs> I lost my humanity. <laughs> hooray. Even if you don't have a favorite and you haven't seen them all, is, is there anything you've seen before this where you were like, okay, this is a good movie? Or No, I really, really enjoyed Inglorious Bastards. I've watched that a handful of times. It's fantastic. I still maintain that that's his, his best, having seen all of his films. What do you think, Mustachio? Best, what's his best film? I'd say his best film is Inglorious Bastards, but my favorite is Death Proof. Oh, you love it. Oh, <laughs> I love that movie. I'm going to touch on it more later. Your theater-going experience, Lady One? Um, I took two very small naps during this movie. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, it dragged. It was slow. Yeah. 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 I also, my eyes also shut during this one. And I think they shut during the Playboy Mansion scene because I don't remember that whatsoever. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that that's when I passed Aww. out there for, for a minute. I don't remember Steve McQueen. I don't really remember 
anything happening at, at the Playboy Mansion. I didn't even remember them going there until I reread the <laughs> synopsis of the movie. <laughs> and you're like, oh, shit. Damian Lewis was in that movie? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. As far as I go, love Quentin Tarantino, have loved him for a long time. I saw I saw Pulp Fiction in the theater in 1994 when I was probably too young to be seeing it. <laughs> loved it. It was just one of those movies that me and my friends watched, and it was violent and seedy and funny, though, at the same time and, and interesting, and we absolutely ate it up. And so I've always you know, sought out whatever he was going to do next. I remember seeing Kill Bill 1 and Kill Bill 2 in the theaters, mm-hmm. and Kill Bill 1 absolutely blew me away yeah blew me away uh which is interesting because he blows me away with both of his styles which is he says that you know half of his movies take place in his own quintino reality universe and half of his films take place in the things that those characters would watch in a movie theater Hmm. yeah that's what he says about the two types of movies that he has interesting Uh, and i love when he's doing either and in this one i think he's back to that he's just in in the quentin reality verse yeah that is interesting it kind of reminds me of like in true romance christian slater's characters watching like the sunny chiba kind of like like martial arts films and it's like yeah. these are the kind of movies that my characters would watch. Watch. It's like yeah. you know Hattori Hanzo as or Sonny Chiba as Hattori Hanzo in Kill Bill. Yes. Yeah, I could I could see that. I always seek him out, and I think what I watched was a good movie. It definitely dragged some. I think I'm gonna like it more upon a second viewing when I can really just study it. Pull, pull it apart, check out all the subtle nuances going on. But in the theater, after having a large dinner <laughs> and then sit, sitting down to that kind of like orange hue, dusky film that just kind of uh, meanders and takes its time. The movie's just kind of hanging out with you. It's like you fall asleep looking over at Brad Pitt driving. That happens. <laughs> <laughs> you actually said, I think, Lady One, that Brad Pitt was driving. You fell asleep when you woke up, he was still driving. Yeah, he had not gotten there yet. <laughs> all right so why don't you give us lady one the fresh hot stats all right so this movie opened at number two behind the lion king (laughs) beat for beat remake 241 million dollars in the u.s is it his biggest opening or that is is it wow that is his largest three-day opening to date and glorious bastards opened to 38 million back in 2009 which was his highest opening before this one but this movie cost 90 million dollars plus the marketing but seeing as how he's never opened a movie to more than 40 studio can't really be surprised about this this is his best yet that's Mm -hmm. good so i think like his last i think like three out of four if you drop out hateful eight which Mm. i think you know nobody cared that much about yeah he's doing pretty well for himself i i I would say anticipation for his 10th will be very high especially if people think it's his last one oh definitely so all the qt fans went out (laughs) saw it what are the tomatoes lady one this movie is certified fresh at 84 percent by critics with 72 percent from audiences Ooh, lower audience. That makes sense. Yeah. I want to say like most most of my audience walked out of that movie in a weird stunned silence. <laughs> yeah. Where does that land uh, as far as Tomatoes of his other films? So that is tied at sixth with Grindhouse and both Kill Bills. They're all at 84%. Nice. Okay. What's his highest? Okay. Pulp Fiction, 92%. Pulp Fiction, yeah. 92. Yep. So Pulp Fiction is 92. Yeah. Excellent. What's his worst, you know? 
Hateful Eight. That also makes sense. <laughs> the critics are making sense. Nothing like a nice racist misogynist snooze fest. <laughs> <laughs> Was that the the short and sweet of it? <laughs> That's the short and sweet of it. Okay. All right. So before we just start fixing this movie, let's go ahead. I'm going to give you a quick plot summary. We're not using movie pooper this time. We usually do. His plot summary was was too short. (laughs) There was a sentence there that covered the middle hour, which... uh, So we're going to give a little more details here. This movie was a meandering, windy road. I'm going to read this as fast as I can. Here we go. The plot of Once Upon a Time, dot, 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 in Hollywood. Here we go. In 1969 Los Angeles, aging actor Rick Dalton, former star of the 1950s Western television series Bounty Law, laments to his best friend and stunt double Cliff Booth that his career is over. Booth, a war veteran who lives in a trailer with his pit bull Brandy, drives Dalton around town and relies on him for work due to rumors that Booth killed his wife. Meanwhile, actress Sharon Tate and her husband Roman Polanski have moved into the house next door to Dalton's. Dalton dreams of befriending the couple in order to restore his status. Later that night, Tate and others attend a party at the Playboy Mansion. Booth shirtlessly fixes Dalton's TV antenna. Lady one. <laughs> I noted. <laughs> I was like, wait, how old are you, Brad Pitt? That's what's up. <laughs> That's what's up. <laughs> oh, I was jelly as well. Like, literally, I'm jelly. So, uh, <laughs> And reminisces on a sparring match he had on the set of The Green Hornet with Bruce Lee. Charles Manson stops by Polanski and Tate's house looking for record producer Terry Melcher, who used to live there, but is turned away by Tate's friend Jay Sebring. Booth later picks up a young hitchhiker in Dalton's car, dropping her off at Spawn Movie Ranch. She tries to persuade him to stay, but Booth is suspicious of the large number of hippies squatting on the property. Worrying that owner George Spawn, Booth's former employer, is being taken advantage of, he insists on checking on Spawn, despite Lynette Fromm's objections. Squeaky Fromm. Spawn dismisses Booth's fears. Returning to his car, Booth discovers that Steve Grogan has slashed his front tire. Booth brutally beats Grogan and forces him to change the tire. One of the women goes to fetch Tex Watson, but Booth is already driving away by the time Watson arrives. Tate goes for a walk and decides to go to the theater to watch herself in The Wrecking Crew. Meanwhile, Dalton lands the role of a villain in a new series called Lancer. He strikes up a conversation with his young co-star Trudy, a method actress. During the scene, he struggles with his lines due to his alcoholism and later has an emotional breakdown in his trailer. He returns and gives a powerful performance that impresses the director and Trudy, telling him it's the best acting she's ever seen, (laughs) bolstering his confidence. After watching Dalton's performance as a guest star on an episode of the FBI, casting agent Marvin Schwartz offers Dalton the opportunity to shoot a spaghetti western in Rome. Dalton, who considers spaghetti westerns to be the bottom of the entertainment totem pole, reluctantly agrees, bringing Booth with him for the six-month stint in Rome, where Dalton films several movies and gets married. Upon returning to Los Angeles, Dalton informs Booth he can no longer afford his services, and they agree to go their separate ways. They go out for one last drink. Actually, I believe they say they're going to go out and get blind drunk Mm -hmm. and return to Dalton's home where Booth smokes an acid-laced cigarette and takes Brandy for a walk. Meanwhile, Tex Watson, Susan Atkins, Linda Kasabian, and Patricia Krenwinkel from the Manson family arrive in preparation to murder everyone in Tate's house. Dalton hears the car outside and comes out, ordering them to leave. He comes out with a big old pitcher of margarita. Yeah. They initially drive off, but then Atkins hatches a plan to return and kill Dalton. A nervous Kasabian deserts the group as the remaining three proceed with their plan. Upon entering the house, Watson encounters Booth, who recognizes the trio from Spawn Ranch, making <laughs> them nervous. He comes in and, uh, what's his name? Tex says, 
a line that Tex actually said, I'm the devil and I'm here to do the devil's work, something like that. And in this movie, though, Booth says like, nah, something stupider than that, like Tex (laughs) or something. (laughs) <laughs> something stupider than that yeah it was great it was great in the ensuing fight booth and brandy manage to kill Krenwinkle and watson and severely injure atkins who stumbles outside into the pool this alarms dalton who had been floating there listening to music oblivious to the commotion outside dalton climbs out of the pool and retrieves a flamethrower he'd kept from a previous film shoot and burns atkins to death <laughs> Booth is taken to the hospital for his non-fatal injuries as Dalton strikes up a conversation with J.C. Bring next door, who invites Dalton up to Tate's house for drinks. The end. All right, so before we just start fixing a movie, a lot of people work on a movie. I mean, this movie has so many stars in it, but also cast and crew of thousands, including Zoe Bell getting her first Mm -hmm. shot at being the stunt like coordinator. She, She oversaw every fight scene in the whole movie. Yep. She's moving on up. Oh, Zoe Bell. <laughs> oh, are you having some morning Hollywood? Oh, for Zoe Bell? That's why my favorite movie's Death Proof. Or her favorite Tarantino film. You're into Zoe Bell. Well, maybe on the hood of a car. Oh, <laughs> oh my God. I, I just, uh, well, you'd have to see the movie to know. <laughs> Let's all say something that we really liked about this movie. Lady Wan, go. So in general, all of the performances were stellar, but one character really, really stood out to me, and that was Brandy the dog. Yeah. (laughs) The expression she was giving, the stunt work at the The end. The range. Such an impressive animal. This is the second film we've done in the past two months where a dog (laughs) has been biting crotch. Yeah. (laughs) Like intensely biting crotch. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mustachio, what did you like about this movie? I really like the dynamic between Pitt and DiCaprio's characters. Mm-hmm. I really like the idea of like going into like the relationship between an actor and their double. Oh, and the soundtrack. I really like the soundtrack. <laughs> you love those soundtracks. JC. Yeah. We got to know what, what you loved about this QT film so much. I'll tell you because you're a QT. <laughs> I like that it was not a Manson Murders movie. You know, if he if he was going to change some historical aspect of this movie, I'm glad that he did that with it. That he mm-hmm. let Sharon Tate and JC bring and the rest of her guests live and that he obliterated the Manson family. They were horrific, terrible people. There's been a couple articles about violence against women. But it was violence against monsters. Very well put. Nice. Okay. With that crap out of the way, been all nice and shit. <laughs> It's time to not get nice. People may idolize him, but his movie is not without flaw. No movie is, except Nacho Libre. And Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Wait, Nacho Libre? (laughs) Damn it. Damn it. What do you say we fix this movie? What do you guys think? Are we going to fix this? Okay. Yeah. We're all dancing. Come dance with me. Get up. Come on. Do that thing that Vincent Vega does. Come on. You doing it? Yeah. We're all doing it. Yeah. There's a lot of really quiet twisting happening right now. Yeah, it's it's actually really weird. No one's making a sound. We're just dancing dancing in front of each other in silence. There's no, like, Chuck Berry. Uh, Anyway. All right. So, Lady Wan, it's time to lay on us your first QT fix. So, my first fix for this movie is... To fix what made me fall asleep. Ooh. 
there is just so much driving. There is a lot of driving, and it just seems like he's so enamored with showing, look at this 60s restaurant. And playing the ads on the radio and the <laughs> yeah. songs. Yeah. yeah. I really understood what he liked about those scenes. And I've listened to some interviews where he talked about how, like, basically that's what he remembers growing up is sitting in the back of a car and just listening to the radio and watching stuff pass by. And I'm like, but I'm not six years old. <laughs> I want more. <laughs> like, I need something more stimulating to keep yeah. me engaged in this movie. And after the third long, aimless driving scene that had three different angles and no dialogue and nothing happening during that time, I had had enough. Mm -hmm. So my first fix would really be just to cut down on the sheer number of scenes and the length of those scenes. It's like I'm not at the theater to feel someone's replication of riding to the store with their mom in the backseat. Like, right. <laughs> I'm there for some kind of a plot. Give me some something. I'm happening. there for a story and some plot. Yeah, I don't, you know, yeah. I don't need to see Roscoe's chicken and waffles. Yeah. How do you tell your cinematographer about that? Like, okay, I don't want them to remember it, but just right? like they vaguely see a bunch of things. They weren't even having conversations in the car. So I really did feel like this movie's two hours and 40 minutes long. We could lose 15 minutes just of silent car drives, like easily. <laughs> it kind of felt to me like when you're playing a video game and you have the option to like drive to the next scene. Yeah. Or you could just like hit X and skip it and just arrive there. I'm like, yeah. oh, I just want to like skip yeah. it and just be there. Yeah. And instead he's like, wow, this video game's so expansive. <laughs> <laughs> Pistachio, what is your finest? Finest. <laughs> o U A T I H fix. Go. It doesn't come as much surprise that I have a hard time kind of fixing this film. <laughs> there's so much in here that I appreciate, and there's so much in here that I've like poured over, like and thought about so much. Mm -hmm. Like w when I was discussing fixes uh, before we even got on the episode, I was talking with Lady Juan, and we mentioned how hard it is to fix a Quentin Tarantino movie. Period, because mm -hmm. we know everything in the movie is deliberate. Everything mm -hmm. is intentional. It's much harder <laughs> to fix some kind, like some auteur's vision. Exactly. Yeah. But so if I can, I'll I'll start just looking at where I could punch it up and where like if we were cutting back on driving scenes like lady one said <laughs> then you can give me more sequences of potentially where cliff booth had his heyday so if he was falling off a horse in bounty law or taking like a fist to the face and punching Ooh. guys spitting blood and teeth um <gasps> here's a thought so we saw the great escape sequence where leonardo dicaprio is thinking about oh, yeah. how he could have been in that movie and what would have happened <laughs> yeah they they superimposed his face over steve mcqueen yeah yeah well steve mcqueen yeah. had a famous like uh duo with bud eakins was his stuntman driver for bullet and in the great escape he makes that jump over yeah the motorcycle jump the motorcycle. over the barbed wire yeah fence. so yeah. like like maybe leonardo DiCaprio's character like could be thinking about like well if I was in this that means Cliff would be making that jump <laughs> oh a scene where his Brad Pitt's face is on the motorcycle yeah yeah so oh, like, I love that. <laughs> that'd be so great could have showed us how he got that big old scar around his armpit on his left arm where he got that thing around Maybe. Brad's pit <laughs> okay he did Stupid. so yeah. bad yeah <laughs> Speaking of Brad's pit, mm -hmm. would you willingly put your face in Brad Pitt's pit because he's Brad Pitt? Just to do it? Yeah. All right. You can do it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Both of you are, are yeses. 
Yeah, that's a great story to tell. Yeah. <laughs> I'll be like, I actually know what his pit smells like. Uh-huh. Do you? What does Brad Pitt's armpit smell like? What do you imagine it smells like? I think he smells kind of like gasoline because he's always riding motorcycles. <laughs> a little bit of gasoline? Yeah. All right. H- how about you, Mustachio? What does what does Brad Pitt's armpit smell like? I'm going to go with love. jc what you got a fix for us you know i do lady one's fix was about shortening the movie i also think this movie could be shortened and i was trying to think of where i would shorten this thing and i thought that there was a pretty needless useless diversion in this movie which is the six month montage of being in italy uh, making spaghetti westerns by that time in the movie i was ready for this thing to be over and, and when it said like six months later or whatever i was like oh my god this is this is too much they could have either taken the whole thing out because he was adamant about not going you could have added one more cameo which was clint eastwood and they could have showed that rick dalton did not take the spaghetti western route but clint eastwood does make rick dalton who's not wanting to go that route make him fail again make him not do that and another actor goes and we all know that what happens there is clint eastwood becomes a huge star rick dalton does not we could have cut that out and actually used it to show him spiraling further down i do like that he had like an italian foreign wife she was like Apollonia. <laughs> yeah, it was really great. Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Wednesday. <laughs> She's just Apollonia to me. Francesca, get out of here. We're having margaritas. Wake up. I wish, though, that she had come with, like, a couple more family members. <gasps> oh, my God. A Nona. Yeah? She like a, a grandmother? Italian grandma brought her home. During that, that, that final fight scene, grandma can be like, oh, hell no. Grandma's got, like, a butcher knife. Yes. And a pasta pot for sure. (laughs) Boom. Lady Juan, how about your second fix? My second fix has to do with Sharon Tate's character in this movie. Again, this is another one where like Quentin Tarantino very clearly made her character an idea or like a spirit. Like she's not really like a concrete person in this movie. And that's something that I think he was trying to achieve. But Margot Robbie said that she wanted to bring a lot of life to her and represent her feeling hopeful and excited and in this like wonderful point in her life where she's just married, her career's taking off, she's about to have a baby. Like everything was peaking for her and she really wanted to represent this excitement and hope in her life. And I saw Sharon Tate being really happy, but I didn't feel like I could connect to what that character was. She just didn't feel real enough to me. So my fix would be to kind of develop her character just a little bit more so we can connect with her so that when they do change history at the end of this movie, we have some hope for where Sharon's career is going because this is uncharted territory. We're in an alternate reality where she has the baby, her career keeps going, like who knows like what this can be. And I actually found a quote from Sharon Tate where she said, my whole life has been decided by fate. I've never planned anything that's happened to me. She really said that. And I think that could have been really cool if she delivered that line in the movie. Oh, yeah. Use her actual words and make her more of a person. Yeah. Seeing more of her and learning a little more about her would make our relief over her not being murdered in this film be all the more bittersweet, Uh even more emotionally impactful than her being some kind of, as Tarantino said, some kind of just like angel on earth. Exactly. Mustachio, what is your next fix? 
getting rid of Kurt Russell's narration. I didn't like it all that much. You don't like it in the other Tarantino movies? I think sometimes the narration throws me. Okay, I agree with that, and here is why. Pulp Fiction has no narration, correct? And that takes place in his Quentin verse. Right, Inglorious Bastards has the 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 narration that takes place in the Quentin verse mm-hmm. film universe. Right, you can't mix the two. It's also confusing that the voiceover is coming from a character within the movie. <laughs> within in the, the film. movie, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes, whereas in Inglorious, Sam Jackson is not in the movie. Yeah, so it's it's wrong on two fronts. Play within your own rules. Mm-hmm. Within your own verse. Yes. <laughs> What's your last fix, JC? My last fix has to do with Bruce Lee and the treatment of Bruce Lee in this movie. Bruce Lee's daughter, Shannon, spoke with the rap about how disappointed she was in the way her father was treated in this movie. And she says he was treated in this movie, quote, in the way that white Hollywood did when he was alive. Mm. So that's some pretty damning stuff right there. She says, quote, he comes across as an arrogant asshole who was full of hot air and not someone who had to fight triple as hard as any of those people did to accomplish what was naturally given to so many others. Mm -hmm. She also said, quote, that while she can understand the reasoning behind what is portrayed in the movie, it covers a period of time that clearly had a lot of racism and exclusion. And she says it was really uncomfortable to sit in the theater and listen to people laugh at my father. Mm. Here, he's the one with all the puffery and he's the one challenging Brad Pitt which is not how he was and some interviews with him kind of back up that this was not the man that he was I watched an an interview with him where he said quote ultimately martial art means honestly expressing yourself now it is very difficult to do I mean it it is easy for me to put on a show and be cocky or I can make all kinds of phony things you see what I mean but to express oneself honestly, not lying to oneself, and to express myself honestly. Now, that, my friend, is <laughs> very hard to do. And you have to train. You have to keep your reflexes so that when you want it, it's there. Uh, he trained a whole bunch of Hollywood celebrities in martial arts. He actually has a quote about some famous friends of his. Uh, he's talking about Steve McQueen and James Coburn here. He says, quote, As a fighter, Steve McQueen is good in that department because that son of a gun got the toughness in him. James Coburn is a peace-loving man. Now, he appreciates the philosophical part of it. Therefore, his understanding of it is deeper than Steve. So you can tell that he's really into the philosophical part of fighting. And you're not sure really that he ever saw himself as a superstar either. Uh, He says, quote, The word superstar turns me off. The word star is an illusion. You should look upon oneself as an actor, as a super actor. I don't look at myself as a star. Not only that, but going along with some of the stuff that his his daughter said, he was instrumental in bringing a more realistic, respectful portrayal of uh, Asians to cinema. Mm-hmm. Given all of that, I don't think you trample all over Bruce Lee. I don't think we're out to make people's family members feel hurt about the portrayals of their relatives in, in films. So instead of a portrayal that hurts his daughter and his legacy, I think this is what should happen in that scene. Cliff should only get in a cheap shot in the very beginning. Mm-hmm. And then Bruce loses his cool and proceeds to like just be pounding all over Cliff and that's when Zoe Bell comes out and Cliff gets kicked off of the the set. He shouldn't be picking up the small Asian and throwing him into a car 
20 feet away. Keep the scene where, where, where they fight, fine, but it's Cliff getting a cheap shot in just one. Also, going back to him training Steve McQueen, training James Coburn, he also trained Sharon Tate for the that Wrecking Crew movie, which you see in the film very, very briefly. It's like one of those like blink and you'll miss it mm-hmm. moments you know integrate him into the film more he was definitely in the lives of Sharon Tate and he was in the life of Roman Polanski in fact after Sharon Tate's murder Roman Polanski even thought that the culprit could have been Bruce Lee and he found a pair of glasses at the crime scene and actually followed Bruce Lee to his eye doctor and had it proven that the prescriptions did not match so this is a guy who knew them well and we could have had him integrated into the story more I think Mike Moe's portrayal of him was fantastic Mm -hmm. and maybe it could have shown more of the person that Bruce Lee was so my fix would be to fix Bruce Lee in this movie, Mm -hmm. essentially. Unnecessary improvement. Okay, so without further ado, I think we should consider this movie Screen Fixed. Yeah. All right, so do you have a final thought, Lady Wan, on O-U-A-T-I-H? I do. So it's a little bit about this movie. It's a little bit about some other movies we fixed. I was super pumped about this trailer. There's been a lot of good trailers this year. Always. These freaking trailers, man. Godzilla mm-hmm. King of the Monsters. Men of oh, Black my favorite trailer of all time. Alita Battle Angel. These were all trailers for movies I wanted to see. And then I just, I saw something else with the same name. And <laughs> my question is, are we getting like incredible trailer editing to cover up bad to mediocre movies or are trailers just ruining all the best parts of these movies like what's the problem here that's a deep philosophical question for y'all to ponder (laughs) yeah that's a good question because remember a trailer used to give you like the whole movie and nowadays there's so many trailers out there and we see them everywhere online you know tv our phone instagram that now even trailers have the trailer before the trailer in the trailer mm-hmm. and i i just think nowadays these trailers are amazing and there's a formula for them mm-hmm. i listened to this fantastic podcast called 20,000 hertz where they talked about trailers these days and the formula behind the trailer music they know what we want man and it's definitely tricking us now they keep manipulating me so yeah you're uh uh, Lady One, you're absolutely right. Trailers are getting better and they're getting more manipulative and they are tricking you into seeing movies. Mustachio, do you have a final thought? I guess I'm still in fix mode. I mean, I guess I'm looking at like the fact that we could have got rid of some of those cameos. I think the Timothy Oliphant character there to kind of show like maybe somebody who respected him in the same movie film industry, like the Michael Madsen character, like Jesus, really? Do we need him? And yeah, I mean, like I, I could have done without Damian Lewis's Steve McQueen. Yeah, there. There was no reason for the Rumor Willis cameo. The Timothy Oliphant and Luke Perry characters, those those are real actors on Lancer. Yeah. And it's good. Like, bit of perspective for what Rick Dalton's character is going through being around these these actors. But to feel like it's just over-gratuitous amount of bit character work is when you show us too many, it reminds us that we're in the Tarantino universe. 
Yeah, I mean, at least there was nothing as gratuitous as the Mike Myers cameo. Oh, that's one of the best. Inglorious Bastards. Come on. I hate it. Come on. I hate it. You loved it. He's a terrible actor. I thought you were going to say Bohemian Rhapsody because that was also a trash cameo. I think (laughs) Mike Myers is the king of the trash cameo. What? Okay. He's just... (laughs) JC, what's what's some of your last thoughts? That sounds like you're going to (laughs) die. Oh my oh god. god, that sounds terrible. <laughs> what are your last what are your, thoughts? What are your Christ last thoughts? Last words? How do you want to be remembered? <laughs> my final thought has to do with Cliff Booth, and I thought one of the best scenes in the movie was where they showed Cliff Booth on the boat with his wife, Natalie, played by Rebecca Gayhart. Because the whole thing is, is everyone in Hollywood thinks he murdered his wife. It was a very Robert Wagner, Natalie Wood, Christopher Walken on a boat situation. But what was interesting about that is that scene where he has the harpoon gun aimed at her and she's nagging at him, but you never see what happened. I love moments like that because that scene now and the way you interpret that scene as an individual viewer colors how you see the rest of the movie with Cliff Bluth. Do you think he did it? Yes. I do too. (laughs) And I think he was being extra moral the rest of the movie to keep his ass out of jail. All right. Do we have any screen fix listener mail? All right, we got a couple comments about Dark Phoenix. Um, Devin Person says, I wish to have the original cast. I thought it was fan-made when I first saw it. Yeah, except, uh, Devin, I feel like a fan film might have been a better movie. Uh, another one, uh, Eric Cruz says, give Quicksilver a song number. Interesting, Eric. I like a bold fix suggestion. Uh, yeah, that's yeah, that good. That is a very bold suggestion. <laughs> I actually asked him for a suggestion, and he has... A gif of Chandler Bing singing Ground Control to Major Tom. So Great scene. Uh, nice. We have the best fans here. <laughs> Screen fix. Those are a couple comments from Dark Phoenix. There were more. If you post on any of our posts, Twitter, Facebook, whatever, we might read some. We might read some of our favorite ones. Where can they find us? Why don't you send us home, Lady One? So you can reach us at the show on Facebook, as we said. Just search for Scream Fix Podcast. Or you can tweet at us or follow us on Instagram at Scream Fix Pod. And you can also send an email to ScreamFixPod at gmail.com. You can listen to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Libsyn, or Stitcher. And if you're enjoying it, please rate, review, and subscribe and tell a friend. We also have a Patreon account where you can donate to the show and sign up for some different tiers and maybe we'll give you something too. We have dreams of keeping the podcast going for a long, long time and of opening a one-screen theater to be the home of podcasting and movie marathons and all kinds of fun stuff like that. All right, let's leave everybody with our favorite line from the movie each. Lady Juan, why don't you go first? So my favorite line is at the end when Jay Sebring asks Rick Dalton if everyone's okay. (laughs) And he just goes, Okay, go. Well, the fucking hippies aren't. That's for goddamn sure. (laughs) (laughs) It's the best. All right, Mustachio, what do you got? I kind of like when Rick Dalton's like, yeah, but I got to star in Italian films. (laughs) That's it. That's your favorite. All right, here's mine. (laughs) The Manson family breaks in and Cliff recognizes them and asks Tex's name. And Tex goes, I'm the devil. I'm here to do the devil's work. And Cliff says, now some dumber in that. (laughs) Rex or something. Rex. Rex. (laughs) All right. Let's stop bothering these nice people with our bad impressions. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah, uh, yeah. Stay tuned next week. We will fix another movie. But we are done here with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Say goodbye, everybody. Bye, everybody. Yes. How do you call your lover boy?